Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Wes Goldberg, host of the popular Locked On Warriors podcast. During our conversation, we looked at potential moves Golden State could make at the deadline. Wes, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. It's been a minute. Um, I have not, for whatever reason, you have not been on the pod in, in a little while. I'm sure our listeners are missing you. Um, obviously they can check out your stuff and, and listen to your pod whenever, uh, pretty much every day. But, uh, I wanted to have you on to talk about the trade deadline. I know you're super into the trade deadline long before you got on, on the beat. You and I used to talk a lot about trade scenarios and trade machine, uh, scenarios. And, and I know you've spent a lot of time going down those rabbit holes. Um, and this is a really fascinating trade deadline for the Warriors for a lot of reasons, but I wanted your thoughts on why you think this is a really important slash interesting uh, trade deadline for the Warriors. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on again. No, I think this is a really important trade deadline for the Warriors because this is basically the start of their off season. And I know that they're going to make this playoff push and, and they've have, they still have some priorities and goals that they want to accomplish this year uh, in regards to making the playoffs in regards to some internal development with guys like James Wiseman and Jordan Poole and, and things like that. But this really is the start of their off season for next year where, you know, we talk with the Warriors every day and every, every single person says next season, the goal is to be a championship contender. Well, they're not going to be a championship contender with the way that this team is. Even when Clay Thompson comes back, you can't bank on this team as currently constructed with a healthy clay being able to rival a team like the Lakers or Denver or Utah or the Clippers, depending on what happens with them. And so you need to make some improvements along the margins. Even, I, I don't know that they necessarily make, need to make a superstar swing as Warriors fans all want, but definitely some marginal improvements, some core rotation improvements and upgrades. And uh, like I said, it starts now because they're going to be a team operating well above the salary cap this off season. So you're not going to be able to just go out and sign guys with space. Yeah. You'll have a mid-level exception, some, some uh, minimum contracts that you can throw around. Uh, you've got the draft pick from Minnesota potentially coming over. That could be, you know, at, at four or five, but that's not a guarantee that you're even going to get that right. Because it's top three protected. So that might have to get, you might have to kick that can down to 2022. And so, you know, this, this becomes a very important time where you have some salaries that you can play around with, right? You have the Kelly Oubre expiring. That's not something you're going to be able to trade over the off season. And right now that might be their best asset that their best route to upgrading this roster for next season. So, like I said, if anything, you almost have more flexibility now than you will in the off season in order to upgrade this roster the way you, that you, that you're going to have to. Yeah. So, you know, you hit on something important there. Uh, it's the future of Kelly Oubre and, uh, to me, if they're going to make a significant move at the deadline, um, it's almost definitely going to involve Ubre. Um, he's in a, it's a really interesting situation with him uh, because he's kind of struggled a little bit the past couple games, but overall he's, he's been surging the past couple months after that, uh, that rough start to the season. I feel like his market value is pretty high throughout the league. Um, he's only 25 years old. So he's just starting to enter his prime Um and, you know, he's on an expiring deal. So he's very intriguing, I think, to a lot of teams kind of looking for that one more piece to, to kind of get over the hump in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, the Warriors, 
you got to wonder how they view all this, right? Because, and I know we've heard different things from the organization and everyone's going to say certain things, but as beat writers, we have to read between the lines a little bit. And I'm honestly not totally sure. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm, I'm not totally sure where the Warriors stand on Ubre. I've heard that they, uh, that they want to bring him back. But the bigger question to me is, does he want to come back? Um, and he has said that he would like to have a long-term home with the Warriors, but guys always say that, right? I mean, what else is he supposed to say? Or you look at his, right. his quotes recently to Kareth Burke. He said he wanted to come back to Golden State, but it wasn't a complete like all-in response. It was, if you you know, it kind of felt a little tepid to me. Um, I feel like he might be a guy who wants to be a go-to option somewhere. And, and obviously with the Warriors, when Clay comes back, he would be looking at kind of a six-man role um even if the warriors were willing to pay him and it's looking like he's going to be warranting offers in the 20 million range 15 20 million range the warriors were willing to go even further into the luxury tax and pay him that which isn't necessarily a guarantee um i'm not sold that he would even he would even take that um what do you think where what's your read on this whole situation right now yeah. And first of all, I mean, his comments to Kareth Burke, you know, I, I agree. They read a little tough, but that's, you can't blame them. Right. And, and that is part of the dice roll that the Warriors would have to take. So my sense is that the Warriors are getting a lot of phone calls about Kelly Oubre and that they have a specific type of package that they would be willing to move Oubre for a specific kind of player that they would be willing to move Oubre for, but they're not in a rush to do that either. Right. Because, they're, they're not going to want to take another player back on an expiring contract unless that player uh, tends to be, or if, if for whatever reason is much easier to resign than Kelly Oubre, if they have a sense that they'll have a much better chance at resigning that player and that that player might be a better future fit. So you'd be willing to gamble there, but they, I think what they're looking for is somebody that they don't have to worry about this off season, right? Like, yeah, maybe you're willing to sign Kelly Oubre back at $20 million, but you know, he, he may want to take $20 million and start somewhere else and be more of a number one option where he's not going to have that in Golden State. And by the way, and you can't blame him. He spent most of his career coming off the bench. He broke out, he broke out of that kind of role, finally kind of broke through into a starting lineup last year in Phoenix. You could see why he wouldn't be super stoked about going back to the bench. Right. And so, you know, a team like the Knicks or another team that's going to have a ton of cap space that could pay him and start him right away and, and utilize him more in the offense you would understand why that might be of a priority for him. So if the Warriors want to trade him, uh, you're you're probably looking for somebody that's under contract through at least next season. And that's why you hear the name Bogdan Bogdanovich come up. Um, I think somebody like Malcolm Brogdon, who is becoming available out of Indiana, could be a really interesting option for the Warriors if they, if they were to register some interest and they have some of the pieces that it would take to build up to that salary. That's what they need. Uh, is so that so that they can enter this offseason not having to worry about who their six man is because like I said you're trying to answer questions for next year and if if you think if you had Kelly Oubre under contract if you think you could re-sign him and he could be your six man next year then you would probably be really comfortable if you were the Warriors but they are clearly not comfortable with that nor should they be and and so they're just trying to check off that box right now who is our six man next year if you can answer that right now before the deadline then you're going to be in a much better position uh, this offseason. A six man might be Jordan Poole, um, given how he's playing. Uh, I think in the ideal world, they'd go into next season with Jordan Poole as like your seventh or eighth man. And you'd have- I think I think Jordan Poole feels like the old Leandro Barbosa role, you know, and that's like a core top eight or nine guy in the rotation. But he's not 
versatile enough defensively to fill like those Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala roles. You know, he's just not big enough. So, yeah, but I, mean, I think he could be a, a core man, piece for you. You're probably not a title contender. Uh, exactly. That, that That's just the reality of the situation, regardless of the fact that he's looked pretty darn good. Honestly, on both ends of the floor recently, I thought he's, I thought, I think he's looked better defensively than he has in the past, um, as well as offensively. Um, I, the, the thing about, the thing about Ubre is, um, you know, you have to, you, ha- you don't, you can't let him leave for nothing. So th- right. that's why this is such a tricky situation for the Warriors because the worst case scenario would be he just signs elsewhere in free agency and you got nothing for this asset when you're probably getting at least decent offers for him right now. And so it's like, as a front office, how, how confident do you have to be that you can re-sign him to be willing to not trade him right now? I think it is entirely up to the sort of offers that they get back. Right. Because if you're not getting the kind of player that you want, then you really don't have a choice, right? You're not going to just trade him just to trade him. But if you can get, and you're not going to just trade him for, you know, some guy who's under contract for next year either, who's not, you know, who's maybe worth like six or seven or $8 million. Who's not really worth that kind of money. And you would probably just roll the dice. But if you can get a guy who so perfectly fits what it is that you're looking for, and that's why I mentioned a guy like Bogdanovich, who I'm hearing the the price that the Hawks are asking for is very, very high and not something that the Warriors are willing to match right now. Um, Same goes for a guy like Aaron Gordon from Orlando, but uh, Victor Oladipo, same thing. Like, technically fits but also he's an expiring contract never really made any sense for the Warriors that narrative was more pushed by Houston than it was Golden State uh and so but but you're kind of thinking about the right archetype of a player a guy who's versatile defensively who could do some slash and kick stuff some ball handling some secondary ball handling can make an open shot that's the kind of player that they should be looking for and so if that player becomes an option for them. And if it becomes easy enough, if, if, if it takes Kelly Oubre and maybe like a Kavon Looney contract or Kelly Oubre and a couple of other, these little smaller expirings and, you know, a handful of these future second round picks that the Warriors have to make a deal happen, I think they would do it then, but that's only if the right player that you can base a package around comes from. So I don't think it's just so, I don't think it's easy enough to say what should they be willing to risk? If should, if they should do it, should they not do it? Should uh, all these things that just, it's entirely dependent on the player that's available. And that's why they're letting it be known that the phones are open for Kelly Oubre. Come with your best offer. I like the Malcolm Brogdon idea. If that was doable, I, it feels like that might be hard to, to make happen, but um, that that's definitely an intriguing one. Our guy warriors Reddit, who, if you don't follow him, you should follow him. He's a phenomenal Twitter follow. He's, he's really up to date on everything, especially salary cap and free agency and trade deadline wise. He put out a list of just, all the guys that have been linked to the Warriors so far. And let me just preface this by saying that we hear this, these names floated out there every year. It's like, Oh, the Warriors like this guy. Oh, the Warriors like this guy. Well, yeah, the Warriors like most decent players in the NBA um, <laughs> as do most NBA teams. Uh, so just because they like someone does not mean that they're going to even try to uh, make a deal happen for that player. But these are all the names that have surfaced. And so I figured it'd be fun to go down the list and just talk about their fit and what we think it would take the Warriors to get them and uh, how realistic a trade for this person would be. So the the first one is Victor Oladipo um, from Houston, who, who I know there's been a lot of talk about already uh, when that report came out from Kevin O'Connor, I believe two weeks ago. 
uh, saying that the Warriors were interested. What are you hearing about Oladipo, and, and what do you think the likelihood of, of that happening is? I don't see it happening to the Warriors. Um, there's just not enough interest there. For his shooting percentages have completely fallen off a cliff. He's not healthy. He's not the player he was. It's going to take an extended rehab. And unfortunately, he's an expiring contract, right? So you'd have to feel really comfortable with being able to re-sign him at some sort of price. And it, it's it's nobody's got a good idea of what it's going to cost to bring him back because you have teams like Miami and New York who have been reportedly interested in the past, but not you haven't really heard that stuff lately about their interest in Old Depot. So could you re-sign him for $10 million a, for on a one-year deal? Or is somebody out there going to take all their cap space and just say, you know what, screw it. We're going to bet on Old Depot returning to all-star form. It's just too risky for Golden State. I don't see it happening. They're not going to be wanting. Like, that's what you talk about the risk, right? You would just rather bring back Kelly Oubre. You would rather roll the dice on trying to re-sign Oubre than dealing with not only re-signing Victor Oladipo, but not knowing if he's a fit, not knowing if he's healthy. I don't see it happening. I actually don't even know if he's going to get traded. I just don't see the the deal that works out there. The the one team I keep going back to with Oladipo is the Knicks because you hear that the Rockets, and this was from Sam Amick this morning in The Athletic reporting that they want a, a first-round pick or a nice young player, but that they might not even get that. So what if like you're the Knicks and you just traded Kevin Knox? who is a lottery pick, who hasn't done anything for them, but you can almost sell that to the Rockets fans is, hey, there's a former lottery pick. We can make something out of him the Knicks couldn't do because the Knicks are super dysfunctional and we're not, all these things. And and so you would maybe just trade Victor Oladipo for like Kevin Knox and some salary filler. That's that that's my at least per, my latest prediction of what happens with Little Depot, but he's not going to end up in Golden State. No, for a lot of reasons. And you hit you hit on almost all of them. Um, yeah, it's just the, the asking price is going to be way above what the Warriors are, are willing to do uh, for a guy like a guy like that. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't give up Ubre for him at this point. I really wouldn't. Um, so the next one is uh, Otto Porter Jr. Yeah, I don't see it. That was a that was a while ago, and I guess the idea was that you would flip Wiggins for Otto Porter Jr. and then re-sign Otto Porter Jr. at a much cheaper cost than what it, what Wiggins is costing you. Because I don't see any other way to get up to the Otto Porter money. You know, it, like even if you put Ubre and, and Looney in the deal, you're still about like eight, nine million dollars short. So the only way to do it would be to basically swap Wiggins. And I don't I don't think the Warriors would be interested in that at all. Not be, not just because Otto Porter Jr. is a worse player than Wiggins, but if you, you also don't want to lose that max salary cap slot that Wiggins is occupying, right? Because if one day Bradley Beal or the next superstar becomes available, you're going to need Wiggins or whoever fills that salary cap slot to build up to that kind of salary. So if you flip him for Otto Porter Jr. and then re-sign Otto Porter Jr. for a cheaper deal this summer, then now you've lost the ability to, to easily get up to a package that would get you Bradley Beal. So weirdly, Andrew Wiggins to me is almost untouchable unless it's for a clear upgrade. And that sounds insane to say, but because that is the long-term play for the Warriors or just obviously making the most out of Andrew Wiggins because he's been a nice player in a complimentary role for them this year. Um, I just, I don't see them moving him for some sort of deal like that. That's going to be a downgrade. I think Porter's role with Chicago finally aligns with his ability. I felt like in Washington, he was constantly being asked to be something he wasn't, you know, they, cause he was a, I think he was the number three pick overall. They wanted him to to live up to that billing and be this like stud guy. And he just, he just isn't that he's a good rotation caliber wing. He's like a Contavious Caldwell Pope type, right? Who's getting paid yeah. $28 million a year. And that's probably what the, that, that'll be his role on the next team. 
yeah, I think the Warriors, if, if they are willing to, to part with Uber, I, I would hope that they could do better than someone like Porter. You know, that, that remains to be seen. But no, I, I just don't think he's a great fit for some of the reasons you just touched upon. He's also just one of these like three-point shooters who can't really do much. And it's it's the same deal with Robert Covington and why every Warriors fan was obsessed with Robert Covington, why I never really understood the fit because he can't do anything with the ball in his hands. And the Warriors are more than just a space the floor, stand in the corner and shoot the threes. Like you need guys who can drive and kick and move, move the ball around and handle the ball. And Wiggins is so much better at that. And so is Ubre, by the way. And Ubre is not very good at it, but they're both much better at that than Otto Porter Jr. is. And so when we talk about some of these guys, that's why you look at guys like Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon and Bogdanovich and guys, because they are guys that can do stuff with the ball in their hands. We'll have more of my conversation with Wes Goldberg right after the break. Yeah, so the next one is Bogdanovich. I've been a Bogdan fan since his Sacramento days. Um, I just, I really, I really thought he was underrated there. I wanted to see him put in a little bit more featured of a role, which never happened. Um, and then th- it's been kind of a weird fit since he left. I would love to see him in a situation, whether it's with the Warriors or elsewhere, where he can, you know, be like a real leader of a second unit, a guy who can, uh, you know, be a secondary ball handler. He, to me, is exactly what the Warriors need. And if, yeah. if Warriors could could get him for Kelly Oubre and maybe, you know, another contract, maybe even a Kavon Looney, I would be willing to do that, honestly, if I'm the Warriors. Yeah, and so on my podcast, Locked on Warriors, I did this mock trade call with uh, the Locked on Hawks podcast, basically just going through a negotiation, what that might sound like. And we came to a package that was Kelly Oubre, Brad Wanamaker, and one of these other small, like like a Kent Bazemore, Eric Paschal salary, uh, I think they wanted Eric Pascal. I think w- was what the other host wanted. And so it was those three guys um, basically in exchange for Bogdanovich. And we both agreed that, that it, it kind of makes sense for both teams, but might not make enough sense for Atlanta to go ahead and do that. And so basically our mock trade talk stalled there. I do know that the Warriors kicked the tires on Bogdanovich, right? And that the conversations didn't move anywhere serious because the Hawks asking price is just really high right now. But it's the beginning of the week and the trade deadline is Thursday. And so maybe that price comes down a little bit closer to the deadline. But you you hit it the nail on the head. I mean, Bogdanovich is exactly what you'd be looking for if you're the Warriors because he's a great secondary ball handler. He can hit open shots. And then defensively, he has this reputation for being a bad defender. Like in my, I don't know about your mentions, Connor, but as soon as the rumor came up, everybody was like, well, we don't want him. He's a bad defender. He's not a terrible defender. I don't know if it's just the white European reputation thing but that's probably a huge part of it he's a really competitive defender like and he's he's long he's six 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 eleven wingspan he tries really hard kind of brings you a similar type of energy to kelly Oubre. i think you could do a lot worse than bogdanovich Are, are there concerns about the season he's having though i mean you look at his numbers right now he's only played 18 games He's only shooting 38.9% from the field, 32.7% from three. I think it's just a bad fit and a small sample size. Uh, yeah, he's been dealing with injuries too. I mean, it's just uh, nagging injuries all year long. It's just one of those seasons for him. It's just a weird, weird year for him in general because he was supposed to go to Milwaukee and then he didn't. And then he was supposed to go back to Sacramento and then he didn't. He ends up in Atlanta weirdly. And now, and then just all these nagging injuries are catching up with him. I, I don't think that anybody should be really concerned with Bogdanovich's long term fit or 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 growth i think that at 18 million dollars a year at his age with his skill set 28 um i think he has enough of a track record um there that you should feel good about you know what he can provide you at this point in his career um no i i think i think that's 
a no-brainer if they can would make you it be happen. Would you be willing – it, it kind of comes down to what you would be willing to trade for him because obviously you're not going to move the Minnesota pick, right? That's a non-starter. No, no. And you don't – and, and if you're the Warriors, you have no other first-round picks that you can move. So it's really just if you're going to trade a first-rounder, it's going to be the Minnesota pick or nothing. You've got, I think, three future second-rounders that you can move, but that's – we're talking about loose change really at this point. Well, you could do like a way future future – first round pick i don't even think you can until like 2028 and i don't think you can technically move a 2028 first until the draft so you couldn't even do that oh, now wow. the 2025 first rounder is owed so somewhere i think it's memphis but it's protected up to two years out and so you can't even move that pick for a while so really all you're talking about is like a handful of second rounders that you have over the next six or seven seasons, which don't really grease the wheels all that much. So it would be Kelly Oubre plus maybe they're interested in Kevon Looney, but I can't imagine that they would because they have so many centers and they just drafted on Nick Kungwu and I don't, I don't see them adding another center to that mix. And, you know, maybe they have interest in Eric Pascal or Jordan Poole. That's really it, man. Like that's, those are, that's what you're talking about. And that's why it's going to be hard for the Warriors to kind of get up to, to a guy of maybe Bogdanovich's caliber. I think that's that's part of why I don't think that they're going to make a big trade at the deadline uh, because I just don't think that they have the pieces that they're at least willing to part with to get a deal done. For Bogdan or some of these other names that we're going to talk about, the next one being Aaron Gordon. Um, I know you – I think you wrote about him yesterday in your mailbag, and I know you've talked about him on your pod. It feels like you've done a lot of research on this possibility – what do you what do you think um, about that as a potential trade scenario? Same thing as Bogdanovich. Uh, the Magic's asking price is really high right now, and just something that the Warriors aren't going to be able to meet because they're not going to move off that Minnesota pick, and they're not going to move off of James Wiseman for Aaron Gordon. And really, when you're looking at packages, it would be it would be Kelly Oubre, and we're in the same sort of thing. I did another crossover with with the Locked On Magic podcast too, and do, doing the same exact sort of mock trade call. I think that they they would be more interested in some of these other bit pieces that the Warriors would have, and I think the idea for at least what the other the other host was saying was, hey, if you could swap Aaron Gordon for a guy who fills a need on the wing like Kelly Oubre, and then maybe fill out your bench with some shooting like a Brad Wanamaker and a Michael Mulder, who is a three point specialist, and if you're Orlando you have absolutely no three-point shooting on your team at all. And so even a guy like Michael Mulder, who is out of the Warriors rotation, would be a huge boost for a team like the Magic. You get the sense that Orlando wants more than that, and it's just not something that the Warriors have that they can offer. I mean, the only other way that you could get to a Gordon type of deal is to include Andrew Wiggins. And now you're talking about an entirely different kind of trade where now the Magic are trying to build up salary to Wiggins. And so maybe it's like Aaron Gordon and Alpha Rico Minu or Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross. And, and so, yeah, I just, it, again, it just doesn't seem like an exact match, even if the Aaron Gordon fit is, is interesting. And I, again, it's not a clean fit, even for the warriors. So you might not be able you might not be willing to stretch all your assets out there and go all in for Aaron Gordon, but. Um, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to throw this out there and I haven't heard this name in any trade scenarios for the warriors. And I think it's clear why, but I, I think it's, I just want to throw it out there. Kelly Oubre and Jordan Poole for Aaron Gordon. Like that makes some sense on its face, right? Because if you're the magic, you're getting two young players who can help you in your rotation. And it's interesting, right? Cause Jordan Poole may have helped his draft stock a little bit over these last couple of weeks. Now he looks like a rotation guy who who's a three level scorer and a decent ball handler and is doing enough for you defensively. That is not a huge negative on that end. I don't hate it. It could, it could work. Like you could even sweeten the deal a little bit more with Michael Mulder 
and go get Aaron Gordon. I don't, I don't, I think the Warriors are higher on pool than I personally think they should be. And so I don't think that they would be willing to do that. Um, but ideally, you would be able to keep Jordan Poole and trade Ubre just basically in a one on one deal, essentially, uh, for a guy who could be your six man next year. And then, and this year, then you've answered. You know, two of those main questions, you've gotten a, a rotation caliber player with that Kelly Oubre slot, and you've sort of developed a rotation caliber player in Jordan Poole. So I, it would be, to me, it would be really tough to take two of your core rotation guys for next year and do a two-for-one deal and just get one rotation guy back. I never really loved Aaron Gordon's game, to be honest with you, and I don't love his fit on the Warriors. Uh, Oubre is a better fit, but obviously the fact that Gordon has years left on his contract matters the the next one <laughs> Nemanja Belicia out of Sacramento um fun fact for Warriors fans who didn't know this uh Wes Goldberg used to cover Sacramento for Forbes for a brief period of time so you uh you are uh probably more <laughs> familiar with Belicia than I am I mean at least you know how to pronounce his name um I I like this if all they have to do is basically absorb the contract with with uh with their dpe he fits into that dpe if that's all it takes i'm i'm definitely interested uh because this is a guy who's a stretch big he offers a little bit of a contrast from what you have in kavan and and in wiseman um he offers you some rotational flexibility with your lineups he's getting a little older i think he's 32 uh but he's still somewhat in his prime i i like it I, i would i would be interested if that's all you have to do what do you think yeah, floor spacing five can play some power forward for you too. You know, he, he doesn't play as big as he is. There's some rebounding shortcomings there. But again, you just, if you're the Warriors, you sort of need big bodies. And if anything, we've we've learned this again with James Wiseman and Eric Paschal going into the protocol and before when you had Wiseman and Looney both out with injuries, like you just end up playing Juan Descano Anderson at center, which is not ideal as good as he's been in that role, uh, you know, as, as impressive as he's been. But you need another big man on this roster. I don't think that there's any question about that now and smiley geats just ain't it right now and so if you're the warriors could you call up sacramento and say hey we'll give you smiley geach maybe you take a turn a, a, a run with them they they apparently registered interest in smiley geach in the draft which is the reason why the warriors traded up in the first place to get him in that second round so maybe there's still some interest there uh i doubt it because it's a new front office completely but anyway yeah. if you're the kings things have obviously gone south with bializia uh i don't think it's a healthy locker room there uh, you're, you you could move off of his $7 million salary. Even if you were to take a smiley each back, just so if you're the Warriors, I think the, the idea would be, hey, can you just please take this? And you can go ahead and wave smiley each, but we don't want to deal with, you know, eating that salary right now. Or maybe it's just a Brad Wanamaker type of salary that goes out or something like that. But if the Kings, then you create your own trade exception out of it, which is pretty bit, it would be a decent amount if all you're taking back is a minimum deal like Smiley Geeches. If you're Sacramento, you're creating like a $6 million trade exception, a five, five million something trade exception. So that's a valuable thing if you're the Kings. Maybe maybe that's sort of where this ends up. And like you said, with the Warriors, you could just absorb Bielitsa into the disabled player exception, which would be very valuable for them. Uh, I would not rule that out uh, happening between now and the trade deadline. Yeah, no, I like that. And and fun fact, um, Smiley has told me that Bielitsa is kind of his his template. Like he's, he's the type of player that yeah. Smiley wants to be. They're both Serbian. They know each other pretty well. They're friendly. Um, and, aim high. Got to aim high. Yeah, and the Warriors in an ideal world would have developed Smiley into that type of pick and pop. Big, but uh, it's looking like the t- the clock is winding down on on Smiley's tenure 
with the Warriors, unfortunately. He, man, that was rough the other night in that start he made. Oh. I mean, really I knew tough. it'd be bad. I, I didn't know it'd be that bad. I could end. I could see him going and playing for like Serbian Belgrade or yeah. uh, Red Star or something, and like putting up numbers, and then maybe ending up uh, back in the NBA in like his late twenties, early thirties. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it just doesn't look like it's going to happen right now for him. He's still at least two years away from being two years away. Um, the next one on our list is Seti Osman. Um, you know, I like Seti Osman. Um, but he is not having a good season at all. Uh, I haven't been keeping super close tabs on the Cavs, but, you know, he's only shooting 35.7% from the field, 31.5% from three. Um, th- these are huge deviations from his career numbers. Um, if he if he can be what he was last season, which is like 11 points per game, 38% from three, uh, 44% from the field, I, I think he can be super helpful for the Warriors as like a seventh, eighth man. I think he's smart. He knows how to play. Um, you know, he he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, so I, I like him depending on what you'd have to give up for him. I think it's, it's worth having him in your rotation. Right. Uh, this would be more of the scouts doing their work than just looking at the stats, right? Like if you're the Warriors, you would have to scout Chetty Osmond and say, hey, whatever he was in Cleveland, we can make him better here in Golden State. Uh, he's shown flashes of being able to handle the ball and drive and kick as a secondary ball handler type. Uh, there has been in seasons past, he's been a better three point shooter defensively. He's not terrible. Uh, there's length, there's athleticism there to work with. He plays with the competitiveness that I like. I actually really like Chetty Osman um, as a qu- kind of project player. And, you know, project might be a little too, a uh, little too rough. Uh, I think he's, he's a solid rotation guy. I just don't know if he's a solid rotation guy for a playoff team. And if you were the Warriors trading for him, that would be the bet that you're making is that this is a guy who's under contract for another couple of years who we think we could turn into the next Joe Ingles or something like that. I explored this idea of Chetty Osman from, I think Kevin O'Connor reported that they actually have made the phone call about Chetty Osman. It's not enough, even just for trading Kelly Oubre. It's just not enough for me because you could with, with Oubre, you can, if you re-sign him, you know that he could be your sixth man next year. With Osman, you don't really know if he's going to be able to, to develop into your sixth man or just if he's going to be one of these guys who just sort of falls out of your rotation. Like, you don't really know. He's, there's such a wide range of outcomes for, for Osman. So it would take a little bit more. If I were the Warriors, it would take more for me than just a straight-up swap of Osman for Ubre. So then you kind of go down Cleveland's roster, and you're like, well, what do you even want here? And the answer is not much. You know, they've got like Damian Dotson, who's like an interesting guard. But again, one of these guys who would be a break in case of emergency, Michael Mulder type guy at the end of the bench. You've got uh, JaVale McGee, who I think a lot of Warriors fans would welcome a reunion with. But I don't think McGee would be all that interested in a reunion. He wants to go play meaningful minutes for a championship contender. Um, And that's just not where the Warriors are at right now. Uh, And he's already working on negotiating a buyout. So I don't see that happening. So So maybe now you're talking about some draft picks heading back to the Warriors, but you really want draft picks if you're the Warriors? Like, I don't know. Like, even a, a protected first for Osman uh, and Osman for Ubre. does that get it done if you're the Warriors? I, I just, I don't, I think if you're the Warriors, you just rather risk trying to re-sign Kelly Oubre. I don't know what value you would have for another draft pick at this point. I'm seeing a theme here, right? Like, we're, I'm, we're having a hard time finding deals that can actually get done. Um, the next one and the last one we're going to talk about is Kristaps Porzingis. Um and it was reported that the Warrior that the Mavericks actually reached out to the Warriors inquiring about their interest in Kristaps. 
it doesn't seem to be working there in Dallas for him. Not a great fit with uh, Doncic. Um, I think I think they want to move on from him. Super talented player, obviously. Has had some good seasons. Um, what do you think about his potential fit with the Warriors? I just wish I was a fly on the wall for what that conversation was. If Dallas called up Golden State and was like, hey, Kristaps Porzingis, and the Warriors were like, that's an interesting name. What do you? What, what would you? What were you thinking? And if their first thing was, well, we'll take we'll take James Wiseman off your hands for Chris Upsporzingas, then we know that the Warriors just hung up the phone and laughed, right? That's probably what the Mavericks asked for because that's probably. exactly the kind of player that they've been looking to pair with. John. They love that kind of lob threat pick and roll guy for Doncic, and he obviously fits Doncic's window. That's probably exactly what they asked for. And maybe the Warriors, maybe the Warriors countered with, well, we'll give you Kelly Oubre. And the Mavericks are like, hey, we got a bunch of 3 and D wings. We're good. Thanks. Good phone call. And that was probably my, and this is just me guessing, Connor. That was to me, that was probably the extent of the the, the conversation. Uh, I don't see it happening. The, the pick and pop thing with Porzingis is interesting. It's just, this is another thing that the Warriors run. I think if you can get Porzingis healthy and you can get him back to that unicorn type player that he was first couple of years with the Knicks, then you really have something, right? What you have there is a top 20 player in the NBA, but his health is so questionable. His fit is very questionable, whether or not he could be a second best or a third best player on a team. We don't know that, you know, he's only really, when he's been good, only been a primary offensive option for New York. And and if you're the Warriors, you don't really have the luxury of gambling on those kinds of players. Even if the upside might be so high, you just don't really have the luxury of gambling on those kinds of guys. I don't, I think Porzingis is sort of a non-starter where you're really looking for more solid players who you know can be part of a rotation. You just don't really know that with Kristaps Porzingis right now. It's so interesting. Like to me, Kristaps is a good example of just how quickly your reputation can change in the league. You know, like there were, there are a ton of teams that probably would have mortgaged their future to get this guy. And now I feel like Dallas is going to have a hard time getting anything close to, to what he's worth for him. So um, we all laughed at the Knicks when they made that trade. Cause all they got was a couple of picks and Dennis Smith jr. Who's already not in New York anymore. Uh, they ended up winning that deal because they got two first round picks from Dallas and they cleared a bunch of cap space that they are now able to use at, to be free agent players this year, last year and, and this upcoming summer. So they somehow the Knicks won that trade. It's the amazing. Knicks are like looking like a well-run franchise this season. It's so weird. Wes, that was, that was fun, man. I want to leave this with one, one last question, which is bottom line. Do you think they make a deal big or small at the deadline? I do. I think they'll add a a big man to this roster. I think they have to. I ultimately do think they end up moving Ubre. I don't I it's just my gut feeling. I think that there's just going to be too many phone calls between now and Thursday and too many teams maybe lowering their prices that were previously thought of as pretty high. There's just a lot of we're right we're we're kind of in the feeling out stages of the deadline. Things do change when the deadline approaches and, and I just ultimately think that there's too much motivation for the Warriors uh right now to try to move Ubre. Yeah. Well, Wes, thank you so much for joining me. Awesome insight. I can tell you've been spending more time than me on the trade machine and all that good (laughs) stuff. So uh, appreciate it as always. Thanks for having me, man. Our thanks to Wes Goldberg for joining me on the podcast. Really enjoyed hearing all of his insight on the trade deadline. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 